Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. I am a nurse who left traditional Western medicine to explore the vast potential of healing that exists in our natural world. From psychic healers to psychedelic wellness, this is your source to your own human potential. So I want you all to know that our community in Santa Cruz is a decrim city, and I have the honor of being the community development director of the Santa Cruz Psychedelic Society, a new legitimate nonprofit organization that is working with our Santa Cruz community to bring an uprising to our psychedelic wellness in this county. So I have the honor of introducing a bunch of community members. So for the next three months, I'm committed to honoring practitioners and stories of healing from my hometown. Today, I have the honor of introducing a woman who shares not only her own transformative journey, but her story of how she helps others. Christina Sabella has been a priestess for almost six years. She has studied sacred healing, magical practices, and circle facilitation for over 20 years. She has a doctorate in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, is a Reiki master teacher, light language intuitive channel, and a transformational coach. She leads with her heart and wisdom and deep reverence for the divine feminine, and she has been sharing the Manikai rites for over seven years and embody, that embodies the teachings of Grounded Phoenix to help you step through your sacred transformation with strengths, confidence, and self-love. You'll enjoy this. Christina, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm so honored to have such an amazing local medicine woman come on the show and share her story. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Christina Sabella. I am an ordained priestess. I work with women, spirituality, and I just actually have been developing and have started training a few women as priestesses themselves. So I'm doing a Phoenix Priestess Mystery School, which is an initiation process of nine months where women can truly step into their divine sacred essence and can open to the magic that an intuition that's flowing into them while learning how to facilitate sacred containers. So I I've been running full moon ceremonies and Munichi rites circles for eight years almost now. So it was time to step to the next level and get some priestesses to help me run my circles and just to, to spread it. You know, I feel like this is the pebbles in the pond kind of situation where each woman who can elevate to her highest level of sacred service can step forward and help so many people. And so each one of us affects a ton of other women and people and our husbands, our partners, our sons everyone our daughters and then it just spreads out from there so it's exciting I'm really excited that's amazing and I like your analogy about the pebbles in the fish tank because you're saying that it lays a foundation for an entire ecosystem of balance and grace and health for our life and those around us 
it's a grassroots movement, right? <laughs> that like, we're not all going to be free until each one of us chooses to be free as women, as people in this world, and that we can free ourselves and then step forward. And that emanation of the vibration of freedom, of empowerment, of self-love is going to affect each person that we, that we deal with. Even if it's just somebody at the grocery store or when we're getting our hair done or when we're at work being nurses or teachers or whatever we do at work, you know? Know, and that it really just shifts outwards from there. And that's, that's the true mission of the work, you know, it's just to help as many people. It sounds like you already defined it, but the definition of a high priestess is, is that what you just said is um, the woman that's able to step into their own fullness of sacred service. It is. Yeah. And um, so right now, I'm doing a priestess initiation, which is the beginning levels of that work, right? And so we think about it that each woman is a priestess in her own heart, in her own home, in her own community, in her own work, right? That we all can take that skill of empowerment and really help to guide people in a way that is to their highest level and to our highest level. It's about honoring our boundaries, honoring our love for ourselves, and also teaching other people and holding space for people. So empty presence is a big part of being a, a sacred facilitator or a priestess. It's about holding space for people who are in pain so that they can step through their transformation process as well. And so really we're vessels of open energy to help people to heal. And that's at least my intention. The priestesses that are trained under me, that is what they are. <laughs> so it's a mixture of ritual and self empowerment work and archetypal work all together, right? Oh, so we beautiful. look at the different archetypes of um, the goddess of women, and we can use those as reflections for ourselves as mirrors so that we can embody these different elements and really learn about ourselves and other people. So the medicine work really is stepping into your own empowerment to be able to hold space in an empty space way so that others can fulfill their own empowerment to heal themselves. Exactly. exactly. Really, That's really empowering <laughs> and beautiful. Do you want to take us back and tell us a little bit about where you grew up and who you were and how you found your way to such a path? Well, let's see. I first stepped on this path when I was nine years old. <laughs> I mean, I've always been this way, really as old as I was able to self-identify. I've even found journals where I wrote, I'm a priestess. You are a priestess. You are a priestess. I didn't even know what it was at that time, but I knew it was part of me. It was some like ancient remembering that I had in my body, you know? And um, so I began learning tarot. My father had a tarot deck and I began learning tarot and there was no circles back then. You know, we had to figure it out ourselves or find people at random bookstores who could teach us. And I did all of those things. And um, I became an acupuncturist, actually. First, I studied classical studies. I learned Coptic and Greek and Latin. And I studied Isis, the ancient mystery traditions of Isis, where in which I was beginning to learn about the medicine path in that they were using psychedelics at that time to help them open to their their connection with the divine, right? And that's why we call them entheogens so that you can connect and feel that within your body in an ecstatic way. And so that was when I was first starting to learn about that in a, in a classical way. And then, um, and that was in college and that was in college when I got my bachelor's degree. Yeah at Santa Clara. And then I went on to get my doctorate in acupuncture because I decided that 
like just studying books and, and copying books or translating them wasn't going to be very in the world. And I knew that my calling was in the world to connect with people. And I didn't want to hide away my whole life, even though I can do that because I'm an introvert, but I purposely chose to go out into the world to help people to heal actively. And so I chose acupuncture as my modality for that for about eight years. I ran an acupuncture practice, uh, um, integrative clinic in Pleasanton. And and there I began to study um, with a small community out in Hayward for my priestess work. And I started offering full moon ceremonies and Munaki rites ceremonies. And I started offering intuitive development ceremonies and support groups for empaths and intuitives, because I noticed that a lot of intuitives were having a difficult time just existing in the world. And I wanted them to have some space to feel safe, right? I've learned a lot about neurodivergence and why that all came through since then but it was a good beginning you know so we were running about doing channeling groups and all this kind of stuff doing about six or eight groups there and I want to in in Pleasanton Pleasanton. Mm -hmm. and then one of my one of my dear friends I knew she was a medicine facilitator and as I was going through my priestess training, I realized that I wanted to be able to hold space for people in a deeper way. And I had been working with her with medicines. And so we decided to go deeper and she began to train me in some of the entheogenic work as well. Wow. Yeah. So um, these were some of your heroes on your early path as these people who the first group that brought you into the priestess um, Mm -hmm. training. Definitely. It was so amazing to have a space because when I was younger, there was no space for us to go and everybody's solitary, you know, works. We just do our own thing. And I didn't want that. I needed support in a communal way, but I also was scared of it because I didn't feel comfortable in it. I didn't know how to do it. And this beautiful group of women in Hayward, they were just so opening and welcoming to me. And they helped me so much. And they helped me to uncover a lot of trauma that I had experienced as a teenager and as a child. That was part of why I needed all the healing work. And I didn't even understand it mentally or even my body couldn't accept what had happened. And so I, I was starting to understand what needed to really be healed. And it began this crazy side healing journey for me that brought me here today, you know. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I feel like the, a lot of people feel in the beginning before they start down this path that they, the only way to healing is through therapy and um, psychiatric care, or it's really stepping into a whole different world when you begin to embrace the possibility of healing in a separate world. And it, it is so interesting the way we do it in a separate world, yet it transmutes back into your own. So the way I look at it, and because of my acupuncture education, this helped me to conceptualize it, is that there's actually a bunch of spokes to the wheel, many, many, many spokes to the wheel, right? So some people need acupuncture, Reiki, therapy, and meds. Some people need psychedelics, (laughs) therapy, priestesses, and you know what I mean? And whatever that is, mixture for each person, right? And so that's the way that I look at it, because it's not that one thing is better or worse, but just that some things work better for some people than other things. I had gone to therapy. I began going to therapy when I was 15 and I do believe in therapy. I think it's very important modality and it helps a lot of people, you know, and some methods are better than others and whatever. But 
I began it when I was 15 going to therapy. And now I realized that I'm highly neurodivergent. I'm probably on the autism spectrum and it was going undiagnosed because they didn't diagnose females. They still really don't very much. And so what are underlying conditions of that is depression, ongoing depression, ongoing anxiety, a feeling of never fitting in, like something is essentially broken or wrong with you. And when you feel like that all the time, it's not a fun world to be in, especially when nobody knows what's wrong with you, you know? And so I was treating these underlying issues, self-medicating essentially um, with actually psychedelics in high school and things like that. And of course I got in trouble for doing that. <laughs> and it brought me to therapy, which was beautiful because it opened so much for me to learn about myself. And I, um, I actually had a near-death experience that led me to that situation. And when I woke up, I was totally fine. And I had just gotten this energetic, like download into my body. Like you're not supposed to live this way. You have a greater purpose here. And so I stepped forward from that day on in learning my sacred path. And that's really what brought me to my sacred path. So I started going to therapy and working with a therapist for a long time, but it, there was something missing for it for me because I wouldn't take, um, the medication. I really, I did try it for a little bit and I had a lot of, uh, side effects from it that were not great for me. And so I, I learned meditation. I learned herbal therapy. I learned how to do walking and exercise and all these other functional ways to support my depression and ongoing chronic anxiety, basically breathing exercises, embodiment work, all of these things. And I was maintaining pretty well, but of course it would go in its own, you know, ups and downs throughout my life. So yeah, I really I question, but <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, I love how you um, gave us the example of the healing path as a wheel. And there's something that I feel a lot of people who work in the psychedelic field will always come on and say, you know, psychedelics are not a panacea, but I feel like we should move away from that common comment only because if, if it's right for you, if it's going to be your panacea, it's your panacea. And as you said, your panacea, you individually and uniquely could be therapy and whatever, whatever else. This is about you. It has nothing to do with the general public. The healing path is about your work. It's, it's beautiful. That's, that's the real thing. And that's what I see with my clients and my students is that we all have a complete unique voice that is made up of our past and our healing and what we've done. But it also means we all have a complete unique healing path to get there mm -hmm. because it's not one size fits all. You know, you can't just ship everyone off to a farm and they get their thing and they come back and they're miraculously healed. You know, like to me, healing is a lifelong journey and it's a situation that we need to keep dipping into. And I think it's so important that we all have people that we trust and that we can reach out to when we need on a regular basis, regardless if we need something or not, because the time may come when you get triggered or where something comes up and life happens. So we need to have healers available, you know? Yeah. And I, I agree with you that it seems like it's one step after the other. And first, it seems like you get to a certain level where, you know, you stop um, self-medicating. And then you mentioned that, it's really important to have community that you can talk to about this. It's like, and each of these things, it doesn't all happen at once. You know, we have to change our life one level at a time. What did it look like for you? Can you break it down for us? What was like your first big change in uh, that near death experience? And then what would follow? 
I started going to college. I dropped out of high school and I went to college. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> and I started learning about ancient religions, all sorts of religions, because I knew that the version of spirituality that I had been taught growing up wasn't a good fit for me. I've known that from the beginning. And so I wanted to know what else was there. And at that point, I um, was going to become an interfaith minister, actually. And so I did always know that priestess path was my way. But um, I was looking in all these different avenues to try and find the right fit for me, you know. And so I went off from there. I actually was in a relationship with a man for a couple of years who was sexually abusive to me. And I, it just continued to re-traumatize me and, and force me to deal with more of the depression issues and anxiety. And I started using these magical tools that I had learned to help me clear my life of him. Wow. And it was the first big piece of magic that I did energetic spiritual work that I ever did. And I felt like it saved my life in a way. It gave me the strength to, to turn him away, to be done with that situation and to stand on my own two feet. And so I went forth from there and I graduated. I ended up getting married and having kids, but I never really addressed that trauma, you know? And so I went on, like got my picket fence and my two and a half kids and the dog and everything, you know, I was like, this is what people want, right? This is what's going to make me happy, you know, but underneath was this pain. It was trauma. It was the depression and the anxiety that was going unchecked or unnoticed, I guess. And then every time I had a birth with a child, it re-traumatized me I, because I had cesareans too. So there was people unwillingly mm -hmm. in my actual abdominal canal or, you know, abdominal uh, cavity. And I didn't understand what was happening at the time. It wasn't until after I finished breastfeeding my, my second child. So she was about four years old. I had started my business, uh, this wellness center in Pleasanton, and it was all running really well. And I didn't know what's wrong. Like I'm have a career. I have this beautiful family, you know, and I'm shut down. I'm sad all the time. Like what's going on. And I didn't know that I was continuing to re-traumatize myself, you know, and to, to be dealing with this sexual trauma years and years later, because I couldn't even see what it was actually that had happened to me. And so the more I learned about consent and the more I learned about these things, I'm doing this woman's empowerment work, women's spirituality. I'm listening to stories of other women who have been through their trauma. And I was like, well, what I went through was way worse than that. Like how could what wait a minute like oh god and oh uh and it was just like these lights started going off in my head and I was like oh <laughs> I have to figure this out I have to address this you know and so I had been on this medicine path I had been doing journeys I think that was part of what had opened me up as well to understanding and conceptualizing and learning how to feel my actual feelings that was a big deal for me I grew up in a household where my father was autistic and my mother was married to an autistic man. <laughs> so talking about feelings was challenging for us in our household. We were either happy or very angry. And there wasn't a lot of in-between feelings. And um, so it doesn't lead to you being able to identify your feelings very well, especially when you're also on the spectrum trying to figure out what does it all mean, right? And not being having it addressed in a way that can be supportive to that neurodivergent environment, you know? Mm -hmm. So as I started to figure it all out, it got a little bit intense for a while, you know, and I, um, and I was introduced to the 5-MeO DMT, the Bufo Alvarius, and I think it saved my life, honestly, I do. I was really having a hard time, and um, 
again, I didn't really know why I was having such a hard time, but I was deeply unhappy. And from the moment after when I had that experience, it was a really intense experience. As we were getting ready to do the journey, we had these facilitators who were very thorough. We spent the whole day there preparing and talking or being in silence, you know, and sitting with ourselves for this 15 to 30 minute journey. And he mentioned, this is very rare, but every once in a while, someone has a reactivations after doing ceremony with this medicine. I was like, well, it's fine. I've always had, you know, I've been all right and able to deal with these other medicines I've taken. I feel confident I can do it. And I went to take the medicine and it was a, a crazy experience. Very, very, very intense and frightening for me. And I pulled myself out of the medicine because I thought that I was going to die. And I thought that my kids would be left motherless. And I was terrified of that happening, of being away from them and them being away from me. But because I um, pulled myself out of the medicine early, I spent the next three weeks having reactivations every day. day. I re-experienced that medicine. And I would have dreams of like this is, I had just been activated with light language. And so I would have dreams of light just shooting out of my mouth and I'd wake up feeling the medicine again, like, okay, I knew it was still working inside of me. But one thing that I never did after taking that medicine was re-traumatize myself sexually with any partner ever for any reason. (laughs) And that was freedom to me, you know, that was freedom to me. And of course it was painful to step through that because I hadn't been able to truly see all of that and to truly love myself. I had a partner who was not appreciative of my priestess work or my spiritual work. He didn't understand it and wanted nothing to do with it, honestly. And he's a good man, but he just didn't understand it wasn't his world in any way, nor did he have any desire for it to be part of his world. And I found that I was going deeper and deeper and opening more and more into this world. It was everything to me. And it was just becoming so much a part of who, what my life was to be. It was my path. So we ended up splitting, but it just helped me to never allow people to let me feel ashamed of who I was. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that it's important to know that that happens, but it's also important to know that, you know, we have so many deep wounds that we don't feel on the surface level. We have instead these basic emotions of depression and anxiety. So it's like, it has to come up in order to go out Mm-hmm. and it looks different for all of us. And this is the hardest work that, that people do. So touching down to those emotions that are so painful is just in, incredible. It's the, the most um, intense experience of our lives because we don't ever touch down to those. So it sounds like that led you right to, right down. Was that like um, when you were re-traumatized, was it, was it grief? Was it grief that can you identify what, what I would just say that I I don't, I don't want to go too deep into details, but basically I was allowing men to be with me sexually, whether or not I truly wanted to do it because I felt that was an expectation within a relationship. And I have since seen a lot of women who feel that way or have been taught that, right. We are taught that growing up that when we're in a marriage or in a relationship that we should just let them do it. And it's fine, you know, and it's not, (laughs) 
it's not fine. I reject that now completely. And I was even getting, even this five years ago, having women in my own community still saying things like that to me because of the overlying cultural tones in marriage and in relationships and what we think is okay to tell other women. And I reject that. I think it's not okay. (laughs) That is, yeah, thank you. That's really powerful and empowering. But I did have an amazing experience. I went back to the toad because I had pulled myself out and I felt like, okay, I need to face this again. I need to come back to this teacher and reconnect with it. And how much time had passed before you? Six months, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And um, same community, everything like that. And I had an amazing experience. I felt like I could feel the universe being created and destroyed at the same time. And like, I was part of all of it and none of it as well. I know it's so hard to explain, but it's what I would consider that, like that experience of nothingness, but all at the same at once. (laughs) There's a special word for it, but I can't think of it right now. (laughs) that's That's so incredible. Um, were you pretty nervous going in again because you'd had such a hard time or were you confident that you're ready for the final piece? I think I knew what to expect mm-hmm. and I knew what the worst could be for me at that moment. And I decided that even if it was that I still surrender. Mm-hmm. And this was a big part of the surrender journey for me because I had been doing, pushing, going, wow, wow. You know, like that was a whole part of my younger, my early, like mid early twenties was like me pushing, making it happen, doing stuff, you know, and this very masculine energy that I was holding that I needed to create such a big business to run this house with these two young kids and all of this. And it was time to just surrender, just open and surrender and just let go, you know, and that's what the medicine has taught me. All of these medicines in different ways is just really so much about surrendering and just allowing that like, it's all, it's all good or bad or okay or whatever, but it's just to, just to open to it and let it flow through, let it flow through. (sighs) Is that same uh, beautiful idea of surrender does that carry over to holding the empty space for others in their priestess work? I think so a lot. Yes. And not just that, but also in the way that I teach my students how to live their life, because a lot of what I see as people's biggest conflicts in life are about grasping onto something that isn't even real. Yeah. You know? And so if we can just, just open into it, just breathe it out, that it allows those things to flow in and out. Just that reminder, like this too shall pass, good or bad or indifferent, just let it flow for when it's going to flow through and that we can have such higher levels of bliss and happiness in our life. And that we can really, when we're feeling those darker feelings, we feel them too, but they pass too, because even the darker feelings are what people hang on to sometimes that fear, the depression or the grief regret is a huge one. I see people holding on to their regret. They're so ashamed of something they did a long time ago, or they regret a decision they made and they're just holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it. And if we can just relax and surrender, feel it, feel it, but surrender and then it passes through instead of staying with us as long as you know that's beautiful so when you work with your um, initiations what are the the steps like that you have set up in your nine-month training and your um, initiation ceremonies 
So we have um, right now, this program is actually online, although I am offering that women who sign up for this ceremony, for this um, initiation are going to be able to be included in my in-person ceremonies if they're local. And if not, they'll be included in my distance ceremonies that I do as well on Zoom and things like that, but also to help me facilitate them so they get some real life experience working through that. But the journey begins with us really stepping into our healing energy. And we work with Kuan Yin just connecting with the art of compassion, right? And that is about that empty presence. And we talk a lot about ethics of space holding and things like that. Um, Standing up in your power, connecting with your womb space as we go through the activating the priestess power module. And uh, we talk a lot about love, right? Self-love is a big deal, but also being the sacred lover and how we can be in a reciprocal relationship with someone that's about giving and receiving and open to that receiving energy in a way that feels healthy for us. And so we talk a lot about love in all its forms, right? Sacred motherhood and that beautiful love that we have for our children and all the creations we have, even if you're not a child, you don't have children, you know, that we have the sacred gift of life within us. Women can create things out of nothing, out of nothing. It's so beautiful. Even if it's our ideas, businesses, our, our gardens, all these beautiful things, you know, and just that honoring of that sacred energy. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And we definitely dive into intuition, opening up our intuitive ability. So with each module, you receive a Munaki right as well. So by the time you're completely done, you're a certified Munaki rights facilitator, and then you have something you can go out and priestess immediately. Circles. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) A little bit about opening intuition. Like how, how do you move uh, women into that? So there's actually a lot of different, different, techniques that can be taught to help us to open to our intuition but even surrender is a part of that right because when we when we're trying so hard to get the thing and make it happen it really turns out that actually our intuition is always awake and aware and we can just hone into what does it feel like in our body when something is a yes and when it's a no and then we can practice that and practice it and mm-hmm. practice it but also when we can clear and be an empty space and empty presence then we can allow that information to flow down into us more easily so there's a set of techniques and practices that I teach to help that open up for people and that one I've been teaching for a long time so it's really fun to incorporate it into this work, but it's important too, when we're doing healing work with other people mm-hmm. to have our intuition be flowing, right? Mm-hmm. Because we need to know intuitively how it's not just some like, if this, then that, if this, then that it's mm-hmm. some, some art that we're putting together. That's based on our intuitive um, perception as well. So when you're moving into that empty presence to hold space for others, how is it different on the subtler levels of um, really just being our entire true selves and our whole soul presence? It is because it's actually not about being you. you. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with you being an open door for uh, door is not the right word, but it has to do with you actually stepping out of the way. Because when you step out, when you're there and it's about you being fully in you, of course, there's ego still present and these other things, potential judgments, potential this, potential whatever that may cloud your ability to work with other people. You're going to have people that come to you 
that you might not agree with their lifestyle. You might not agree with what their decision-making process is for their job or for their partnership or for with their kids. And yet it's not up to you to, to have judgment towards them about that. And so it's really about stepping back in a way and being able to hold space for them exactly as they are. Oh, yeah. Thank it's you. So we didn't see it that much, you know? And so it's really such a skill to learn, you know? That is gorgeous. And then a big, of course, because it's the Phoenix Priestess Mystery School, we, we talk a lot about that descent into the darkness too, right? And looking at our shadow and being able to walk through that darkness and rebirth ourselves as a stronger version. So this is the medicine path in a way, but it's from an energetic perspective, right? And so we can use these different spokes on the wheel to help our ascent into this opening of who we really want to become of more empowerment for ourselves, but also to not have to keep redoing the Phoenix cycle over and over and over again to become the grounded Phoenix who can stand in their Phoenix essence, as opposed to dying and being reborn, dying and being reborn, dying and being reborn, you know, we don't have to keep burning it all down and, and coming back again every time, right? We can start to live within a a groundedness of that energy as well, even while embracing it. So you're talking about doing that death and rebirth in a more um, whole and complete cycle so that you can get the foundation of the the fish tank gravel. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of people, when they go through the death and rebirth, they, they're, they're scared when they're in the death part. It's scary. Of course we are scared. And so together we hold each other while women are in that death part so that they can really embrace that part and let it truly flow through them so that when they come back, they don't have to be holding on to bits of it and do it again. So they learn it all or do it again. So they learn it, you know, yeah, that darkness and that dark part and moving into that shadow part. It's so interesting because when you're there, it's not okay. (laughs) And we really tend to think as Western world people that, you know, we only do things that are okay. And going that far into facing things that we've never felt or faced, it's not okay. It's a hundred percent not okay. (laughs) But, but, but it's like that dichotomy and it's not even like you'll make it through. It is so complete in its whole powerful darkness that it just has to be, it just has to exist. Maybe that's another area where you speak of the empty presence where you, you exist with it, with your empty presence and there's no end. It's timeless. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it is that speaking of our Western culture, what do you feel about how we're beginning to heal and what are some things that we could really learn from, from your experience in your acupuncture and all of your experience? Are there similar themes that come through the Western women? And you mentioned a, a few of like regret, you know? Mm-hmm. I do see that a lot. I think it is really sad how many women have sexual abuse stories too. I think that's a really hard one to swallow if we truly understand and conceptualize what women have been through as a gender, <laughs> you know, that it's 
truly devastating, honestly. And I think a lot of us can't even really fully comprehend it because it is so devastating. But I have seen more and more and more people speaking up and men speaking up about it because I, I actually believe that we can't fully stop it unless they help us stop it. And it's one of those weird things. I also really loved what you said about the, what happens to women when they give birth. And I think a lot of women don't understand where postpartum depression is coming from. We really, in the Western culture, we think it's such a chemical situation, but it is, you are never as open and vulnerable. Well, you are when you start moving into psychedelic medicine, <laughs> but one of the experiences that, you know, Western women have that is the most open and vulnerable they'll ever be in their life is either death or their own giving birth. So there's a lot of energies that we pick up in the room. Like you said, there was unwilling hands, like how well said, this wasn't a sacred um, pursuit to them. It was another day um, where they didn't have enough coffee, coffee, who knows, but not only the subtleties of picking up other people's energy, but yeah, it reactivates so much. And I love that you said that because I, I want to empower women to just remember that, you know, they're, they're okay. And it is so sacred. And I, I wish that we could honor birth as a collective in this country. It's an amazing thing that's happening. Like we're opening a portal to another dimension. That is my belief. We are literally pulling a soul through a dimension into reality through our own body. How is that even real? It's amazing. (laughs) And to understand it as such and to feel that, like that is a huge ability. And I believe that I've had upgrades energetically and power wise every time I had a baby because it's such a huge feat. You know, I, I work with Isis a lot and I, she's like holds these portals open, but it's like, that's what we're doing. We're pulling open the veil between life and death and, and a human soul is entering to the world because of that. Like it's a big deal. And it of course has a lot of emotional repercussions. I had very bad postpartum depression after my third child. And I think that, and I actually started microdosing, even though I was breastfeeding, I did all the research that I could and spoke with a lot of, um, practitioners, facilitators, MDs, a lot of people before I chose to do that, but I was in a very bad place emotionally after having my son. And I decided that I needed to do that. And I'm so grateful that I did it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it saved us in so many ways. It was a really big experience for us. So there's so many beautiful ways that entheogens have really affected my life, you know, and they were these pivotal times in my life where I was able to access this information, this connection with divine energies in a way that helped me to clear, to heal, to open to my own power, to see who I was truly, you know, and beautiful. Yeah, I see a lot of the younger generation really believing that, you know, life is a simulation. And I just, the thought occurred to me that anyone who thinks that this is a simulation has not given birth. (laughs) Good point. I think that they're referring to that. We there's, there's a general understanding. This is something I see in modern day stuff is that there's a general understanding now that we have been living in a gaslit reality. And I think that that's truly what they're referring to that. Like a lot of people have been, there's all this brainwashing, marketing, brainwashing, political brainwashing, gaslighting from medias, from politicians, from religious institutions that has leached into our culture over hundreds 
of years and their people are waking up to that. I mean, that's part of what's happening, this new earth thing, whatever you want to call it. it. Really, it's just that people are realizing what has been going on for so many generations. Like you said, this light, we all want to be happy and light and love. Right. And that's actually comes from religious programming, you know, I believe culturally. And so it's interesting to have these different spiritual traditions that are popping up now, both within the medicine community, but in these smaller, like women's spirituality work where we are like, no, there's the shadow and we have to look at the shadow. We have to address that other side of us because we can't just be in the sun all the time, you know? (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so glad I asked that question. Um, And you had, can you talk a little bit about you say that healing is a lifetime journey. I I love that idea. And um, I think that people don't really realize that that's what they're getting into. <laughs> For you, what does that commitment look like? So for me, that looks like I have a daily practice of spiritual work that I do. And sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's an hour and a half or two hours, you know, and it depends on where I'm at and what I need. I have a daily practice of nervous system regulation as a neurodivergent and most anybody who's had CPTSD or PTSD needs to do daily nervous system regulation on their body. And that means drinking hot beverages. It means taking hot showers or fast. It means doing breathing exercises on a regular basis, some stretching or embodiment work. Sometimes working out for me can help to regulate my nervous system. Sound bowls, (laughs) they do that well for me too. But just that clearing and calming, like, okay, it's okay. You're not under attack directly at this moment. It's not real. It's okay that you're afraid or feel nervous, but just come back into this moment and this body you are safe and everything is okay. Right. And so this is the situation that a lot of us actually have to deal with, especially with the last two years. Honestly, there's so much trauma that has come in culturally and globally from COVID, from government stuff, political issues. Um, and so we all, and worldwide things that we just need to keep coming back into our bodies, you know? And so that's what it looks like for me is I do a daily practice of nervous system regulation and, I um, work with a therapist twice a month, (laughs) you know, I do medicine ceremonies, um, sometimes self-guided, sometimes with other people, I don't recommend self-guided unless you've had training for that in the past. And um, I sometimes I microdose depending on what's going on for me and different medicines, depending on how I'm spiritually working with who, with which medicines and what's calling to me. And um let's see what else does that look like that means for me i connect with moon energies and different solar energies so like on sunday we're doing an equinox ceremony here and having some people we're all going to celebrate the equinox and connect in with those energies but it's a healing process as well because we're going to be releasing the things that we've been carrying that were too heavy over winter that we don't need to take take with us into the into the spring, you know, and then we're also going to purposely call in the things that we are blossoming into as spring is stepping forward, right? Today's a full moon. So I'll be doing full moon work tonight, you know? And so for me, it's a rhythm of cycles and nature, but also a continual thing of exercise at least three times a week. It's eating well, 
it's certain supplements that work for me, usually ashwagandha, reishi, some other mushroom supplements, lion's mane, turkey tail that I really like that help my nervous system be vitamins, right? This is all like logical stuff. But when I don't do these little things, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger for me. My depression or my anxiety may kick on too high. And then I'm like, what will I do? You know, it begins a thing. And so it's easier for me to maintain. And then of course, sometimes things get worse than that. And if that's the case, then I'm upping my therapy. I'm upping, you know, my, my deep dives with my sacred containers with people that I trust to hold me through that situation. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That was such a wonderful picture. And again, I just wanted to say it looks different for everyone. And so Mm -hmm. yours is unique. It's a, a beautiful design. It's like a mandala of your own wheel and um, we're, we're all so different. I just, I just absolutely love it. I just wanted to ask if you don't mind telling us some things that you add to make a situation become a ceremony, what things personally are valuable to you for that? For me is um, it begins usually with the elemental connection. So I invoke the elements and I ask them to join me it's a Western neo-pagan type of point of view for that. But I do work because I work with the Munaki. Sometimes I'm working from that um, elemental point of view. And then often there's different animals that I connect with, with each of the elements as well, that are my, my animal protectors that I work with in different, different ways. So I invite them to join me as well. And then I connect with different faces of the goddess. And so some people have these, they have blocks about connecting with the feminine divine, but the way that I continue to bring it back is that it's archetypal as well, that we have, some days we are the lover in Aphrodite. Some days we are the compassionate healer in Kuan Yin, and we need that energy to come in. Some days we're Kali and we need to clear energy and, and burn it down, (laughs) you know? And so depending on which energy I'm in or would like to call in, I will call a different face of the feminine divine to join me for that ceremony. And then often there's meditation, raising energy. So we might raise energy by chanting or um, toning. We might use sound bowls or singing or drumming. Uh, there's tons of ways to raise energy, dancing, meditation. They all raise energy and they build this energy up so that we can release into the universe our intention for that, whether it's healing or abundance or anything in the middle <laughs> and anything else that we want. Right. And, and it's a different way of being in connection with the divine rather than just allowing the divine to um, happen to you. It's a more active embodiment and engagement connection wise with, with the divine energies in that way. And have you brought more um, ceremony into your everyday life because of practicing ceremony? I live this way. This is my life all the time. Yeah. I've devoted my whole life to this and not everybody does even not all priestesses do. I have some priestess sisters who work at banks and who do, you know, or whatever, like they work at their lawyers too. And they're, you know, and so it's just everybody, but I think because I'm so highly sensitive and that's one thing about being neurodivergent is you're very sensitive in all ways. And so it's helped my life and my happiness levels to really be in, in this, you know, so we have two and a half acres here in Aptos and I spend a lot of my time just like gardening and working with the land 
and I work in this, in this geodesic dome where I'm, you know, doing healing ceremonies with people. I'll do private work with them. And then I do a lot of, you know, I do light language channeling and things like that. I, I do that probably every day as a way just to flow my intuitive abilities. And it's so different from other people. I know that, but it's just something that I needed to do as I kept walking so that I could really feel like I was living in alignment. Oh, gorgeous. Thank you so much for sharing. How can people find you? What are your um, websites and Instagram or what do you have? At sourcecodewellness.com. So sourcecodewellness.com is my website. And then on Instagram, I'm at sourcecodewellness. So come and find me. There's like links up there for all sorts of stuff. I have one more day for my time of the priestess webinar. And then after that, it there'll be some sacred healers activations and different meditations that you can receive uh, just that are included on there just to, so to share the energy and just so people can experience what it's like to work with me and to have my activations. I am going to be starting some more in-person ceremonies down here as well, um, usually quarterly. So it'll be solstices and equinoxes. So if anybody wants to join us for that, it would be more, most welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on so much. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to tell you a secret. I have a private Facebook group called The Healed Hero Collective, and I stream my interviews live there, and there's a lot of stuff that you'll get if you're really loving this podcast, so I encourage you to join The Healed Hero Facebook group. And if you're not already following me on Instagram at Nurse Brave to the Bone, you can get mini clips and updated episodes there. Um, thank you guys for being a part of this community. And I encourage you with so many blessings and so much light and love to continue on your journey one foot at a time as strong as possible.